Good evening, my friends. Thank you so much for being with me again as we continue our study in Reformation and Restoration. We're actually coming to the close of this particular 16-week series, a semester from the Restoration School of Biblical Studies. If you're a student, thank you. If you're just watching because of curiosity, thank you. If you'd like to be a student, reach out to me. It's all free, and uh, we're thankful to have the opportunity to share the great need to get back to restoring the New Testament pattern, giving God the full authority, scrapping the Reformation leaders and all of their opinions, scrapping the apostasy of the Catholic Church and all of their opinions, and just going back to God, letting God speak. So uh, as we deal with Reformation and Restoration, again, I'm thankful that you're with me. <clears throat> We've only got this lesson and maybe, what, two more to go, and uh, some may feel like, well, he's pretty well covered what he needed to, but I really think that these last three lessons could be as important as anything that we've covered thus far, and so I'm thankful you're here. I hope that you'll stick with me. We've already covered right here, we've already covered Heaven's Hermeneutics as we've tried to establish some restoration principles straight out of the heart of God. What would God have us to do? And you might recall we looked at those passages and Again, pedal back and, and, and see those if you desire. I, I'm not going to review this in any great detail. But you remember that we, we noticed that <clears throat> God expresses himself. And then he explains himself. That was one of my favorite lessons of the entire 16 weeks. And then he excludes those who are not following him or adding to, without his permission, uh, saying stuff on his behalf, etc., etc. And so he excludes those individuals. But that kind of leaves us with a, a, a little bit of a, a, an openness to, okay, but what happens when God doesn't address a particular topic? And you'd be surprised. There's a lot of things that God did not specifically address. Now, we are told that uh, all scriptures God breathed, and it it's, uh, provides that which thoroughly furnishes us unto all good works. And so the principles of the New Testament give us everything that we need to have in order to approach God, know God, be saved by God, etc. But there are some issues that God did not give us great details on, or any information for that matter on, just simply because they evidently don't rise to a level that he's really that concerned about, if we apply a few principles that we're going to find in Romans chapter 14. So even in the areas that God is silent, he addresses those interestingly enough, and that's what we're going to talk about as we kind of wrap up this idea of heaven's hermeneutics. You got these three ideas that he expresses, explains, and excludes, but what if he doesn't give us any information uh, about this? No commands with regards to this particular topic. What are we supposed to do then? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about. All right. Notice that we always give you these five questions, <clears throat> and those questions are designed to help you study on your own. Or if you're part of the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, those are the five questions that you'll receive on your final test at the end of each week. And uh, we're really thankful. We support individuals uh, around the world, and uh, with not just with information, but we have a few missionaries that we actually, submit, uh, we actually support financially. And they are required to make sure that they take these tests, they view these, these videos, they uh, uh, take the passages, and they pick them apart and compare them to other passages, etc., etc. And so we're really blessed with the Restoration School of Biblical Studies to be able to do this and to make it free. Thank you for helping us to keep it that way. There are the five questions that I ramble long enough for you to be able to screenshot those. All right, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. 
<clears throat> before going too far, again, I know you're probably getting tired of this slide, but it's very important that we address this before moving too far into our topic, okay? And that is the subject of restoration and why restoration is so important and why restoration should trump and knock to the side anything that has to do with reformation. Reformation is the most popular of movements within what we would call Christianity today. Uh, when I say Christianity, I exclude the Catholic Church from that because they are part of an apostasy and they would not acknowledge the Reformation movement either as having any truth or being truthful. And so uh, there's a grand split. You can actually see it there in the chart just below my chin. There's this grand split between them. But when you understand that there was not never a desire on the part of the Reformationists and certainly not on the part, part of the Catholics, there was never a desire to go back to the original plan. Their desire was simply to tweak it to a place where they're comfortable. That's why you got the Pope forever saying stuff, uh, as he just recently did with regards to transgenders, for instance. He did, they just make up stuff as they go along, making it fit what they desire, not necessarily what God desires. Well, the Reformation movement came along and supposedly was going to correct that. They didn't. Uh, Luther nails his 95 concerns to the church building door and and supposedly those are going to correct this apostasy, which it certainly did not. But notice that there's 95 of them. You know why there's 95? Because there was 95 concerns that Luther had that made Luther feel uncomfortable. It wasn't that they were going back to God. That's why those yellow arrows there at the bottom are so very important. We got to scrap the apostasy. We got to scrap Reformation movement. We got to go back and restore what God has for us. All right, you've seen that before, so let's jump right in. <coughs> what if God is silent? What if God just doesn't address a particular topic? Romans 14 was written specifically for this topic. It was written specifically to address God's silence or issues that were of man's opinion. And how do we deal with that within the church? Romans 14, 1 through 4, he says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, you make sure that you welcome him. But don't welcome him to quarrels. In other words, the person's weak in the faith and that faith, and that's okay. And we ought to surround that person with love and draw them in, but not allow them to divide the church. I've seen so many times where and a lot of these weak faith people are actually old. Folks who've kind of grown up within the corporate setting of the, of the church, and because they're old, they're supposed to be very wise, but they're like sticking the muds. They never have moved past a particular point. They haven't really grown at all. And he says, don't you welcome them to quarrel, specifically over opinions. And that's the word that I want us to draw into, because as you'll notice there in the Greek text that you're seeing there at the bottom, you see that word, that actually could be translated or reasonings, opinions or reasonings. In other words, these are things that, are, that come from man. And he's going to give us two illustrations in, in Romans 14. Folks who uh, eat certain things and folks who don't eat certain things. Folks who celebrate certain holidays and folks who don't celebrate certain holidays. And interestingly enough, he's actually going to say that both folks can be right. In the church, with regards to human opinion, it is possible for there to be two very polarized positions on an issue that are demanded by God to stay in fellowship. 
Just because you don't agree with me on that conclusion or I don't agree with you on that conclusion doesn't mean that we should separate and go or that we should cause trouble. In fact, he is going to say here that we need to be careful that we do not despise. Notice verse 3. Let the one who eats, let not the one who eats, excuse me, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And he say the reverse. So we've we got to be careful that in areas that we disagree on with regards to opinion, not things that have been addressed specifically by God, but with things of opinion, we've got to be very, very careful that we do not despise our brother over those things, but rather that we try to help our brother grow up. Because that's really what this chapter is about. The chapter is about the strong and weak brother. And he opens up in verse 1 by talking about the weak in faith. And that weak in faith brother is almost always the individual who's going to say, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Oh, don't be doing that kind of stuff. They're almost always the one who's wanting to make up laws for God. Okay? But the reason I show you this opening text is because, again, I want to show you that Romans chapter 14 is perfectly poised to address this particular controversy or issue. What if God is silent? He has not expressed himself. He has not explained himself. He has not excluded individuals. specifically, and so what do we do with the topic? Well, we need to be careful that when we express and explain and exclude, that we are doing it according to certain principles that God would put forth, not you and I. So even in matters of silence, God is going to govern that, and I'm fixing to show you three rules that God himself provides us within this very same chapter. However, before we go there, staying within the same book, pedal backwards ten chapters, and you're going to see in Romans chapter 4 and verse 15 a very interesting verse. I would encourage you to take this verse and read its entire context because it has to do with the law. But it specifically has to do with legalistic codes, laws that are are presented. And God is going to say, the Holy Spirit is going to say through Paul, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Meaning, you cannot break a law that has not been made. There is no such thing as the law of silence. That is a damnable false doctrine made up by individuals who believed they were part of the restoration process, but in really in reality they weren't. They're acting in complete contradiction to Romans chapter 4 and verse 15. In areas that God has not addressed, you are not to address it. In areas of silence, you do not have the right to make up something for God. You just simply don't. Do we serve communion from the front of the room or the back of the room? Do we dim the lights during communion, or do we leave them fully lit? Can we serve communion from a gold-plated service tray, or does it need to be something more simple than that? These are issues God has never specifically addressed. And you and I need to be careful not to make up laws of fellowship over these issues. Now, there might be other principles that would apply, such as, let's go with the gold-plated stuff. You know, the, the, the idea of being a, a good steward of God's money, yet setting an example before the world that would say to them that, yeah, we even have expensive gold-plated service trays that Jesus certainly never used, but we want to make sure that we fit in with the world. So we, I could, from that direction, I could approach it and say, that's probably not a very wise choice for you to make. But on air, in areas of silence... It's important for us to recognize that if God's silent, we got to be silent. And by the way, that, that means that you don't make up a condemnation or a recommendation. You just simply understand, according to the next three principles, which you're about to see, you understand where your heart has to be with regards to what God is silent on. 
I've been bouncing around these three principles. It would be helpful for you to understand them before we move too, too much further. And so let's just go ahead and go there. Here's the first principle, staying within the very same context, very same passage. He's going to say in verse 5, which is one verse later than what we just read previous, one person esteems one day as better than another. This is the second illustration he has presented. The first one is some folks will eat this and some folks will, eat, will not. Second illustration, some folks will observe one day, some folks will not. All right, and he's going to pick up that second illustration here in just a moment as well. Uh, or that first one is going to, going to allude to it here also. But those are the two illustrations he's given us. So in other words, there's a, there's a matter of opinion with regards to whether or not you can eat that. There's a matter of opinion with, the, with regards to whether or not you can celebrate that. we got to be careful how we deal with these issues of silence from God, not making up laws of fellowship that to, would exclude our brother if we have these three principles in mind, the first principle out of God's mouth is this. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So the first thing that we need to recognize is that if you're going to address a topic, that thing's sticking right there in my face. I'm going to expand it just a little bit, see if I can get, can I, there you go. If we're going to address a topic that has to do with silence, God hasn't really given us a yes or no on that particular issue. Who do we go to? Well, the Catholic Church would say, let the Pope make the decision, or let our, our bishops make the decision, or whatever it may be. Uh, Calvinism would say, well, what does the Reformation movement say? I Even in the Restoration movement, I, I, I know of a particular congregation who, they came to a point with, with regards to some issues, and so they decided they'd seek out the advice from a local Christian college. Because I guess that gives that more credibility. No. What do you do if God's silent? Well, first of all, you run it through this test, and that is, what are the things that would show that I'm actually growing, not stagnant in my faith? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That means that there is a level of growth, spiritually speaking, that has taken place that would allow you to come to a place of contentment with God in your own growth. Now, you're, you're going to be, hopefully, you're going to be a stronger person tomorrow than you are today. So you're never going to stop growing. But at least you can say, at this point in my life, I am comfortable with this decision. And God says that I'm comfortable with that decision because you're growing. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, really neat passage. Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith. Uh, again, offsetting Calvinism and their whole irresistible grace garbage and all that kind of thing. We are told to add to our faith. That's that's our assignment. God says, you, Sonny, you need to be adding to your faith. Faith is not something that God inserts into your brain and he manipulates you like a puppet. Faith is something you choose. Faith is something you develop, according to what Peter says. He's going to make every effort to add to your faith, and he's got a big, long list of stuff. And then you come down here to verse 8, for if you possess these quantities, or qualities, excuse me, in increasing manner, notice it's increasing manner. In other words, you're growing. God approves according to your growth, that you're continuing to grow in Him. If you possess these in increasing manner, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be growing in our faith. And so, that little blue-haired lady, and they, I don't guess they do that much anymore today, but I remember when I was growing up, you used to have these blue-haired ladies. I don't know why their, their silver hair was, was blue, but 
anyhow, they, uh, they tended to be at times very ornery individuals. And they'd sit at the back with kind of a scowl on their face with regards to what was going on in services. And then they would be critical of what somebody said here or what somebody said there. And you got the same, maybe even worse, definitely even worse, among some ornery older people uh, in the church who had stuck their faith here. I'm not moving. This is what I believe, and I'm never changing my mind on the subject. Well, you need to understand that's not of God. God clearly says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we are to be people who are progressing in faith. He would not have said it in, in <clears throat> down there later on in verse 8, in increasing measure. That does not mean stuck in the mud. That means that you're continuing to grow. That means that 10 years from now, you better have somewhat of a different opinion than what you have today as far as your faith is concerned because you are somebody who's continuing to expand. Now back to our passage in Romans 14. The first principle, when God says something or doesn't give any information with regards to something, we're trying to decide what's the best thing to do. The first principle is make sure you're convinced in your own mind. Make sure that you can say, I am growing in Christ and at this particular point in my journey, I'm not only comfortable with this, but point number two, I believe that God would be honored by this. <coughs> Second principle, after making sure that you're not stuck in the mud, your faith is growing, ask yourself, what are my motives with regards to going this direction? God hasn't given us a yay or a nay. In fact, he's indicated in the previous part that you could go either way. You can have two polarized positions. One says yay, another person says nay, and they can be full fellowship. And God can approve of both of those because of the condition of their heart, condition of their spiritual maturity. And so we need to recognize that in these moments of silence from God, the second thing that's important is for us to ask ourselves what's in our heart. Notice he says in verse 16, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And he's going to say th the same thing about the guy who doesn't observe the day. So God approves according to our motives. <clears throat> I, I, this will probably sound harsh, and if it does, that's fine. Probably needs to. But I, there's a lot of folks in Christianity today who are doing a lot of things in Christianity today that they think God wants them to do, but if they would really stop and consider it, their motives are completely screwed up. Their motives are not with God. We we have a lot of folks who have like concerts every Sunday. It's 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 a concert scenario. And we look forward to going to church because we're going to have this this mini concert, and uh, you know, and then maybe in the, in the middle of this mini concert, we're going to have this dynamic guy who's going to get up, get up, and he's going to give us this "you got it" kind of stuff, and you you get after it, you can make it, you you know, and it's it's not it's it's kind of like the health and wealth doctrines, only he's not saying it from that standpoint. He's saying always be happy, accept your neighbor, be a good person. Kindness is the way we're going to win this world. And they rarely give you anything that has any substance. Okay? When we go to those places, the concert mentality, the, the, the big structures that make us feel like, ah, you know, this has to be official because look at that steeple. Or we sit in those pews facing the back of the head of the fellow in front of us in that stadium seating, kind of the passive Christianity mode. You got to ask yourself, why do you do that? Are you doing that because that's best for God? It's the best way to honor God. Or are you doing that because I love the adrenaline of the moment? I like 
the fact that we meet in this big building. I like the socialization. I like the fact that it's we've got this almost concert scenario going on. I like the fact that we got this motivational speaker in the middle. I like I <clears throat> when God deals with things that are not specifically addressed, is it okay to have lighting, big screen TVs? Is it okay to have special sound system? It's you know, areas that are see silent on. You gotta ask yourself. Am I doing this for God or am I doing this for me? Notice he says, the one who observes the, the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. Why do you do what you do? Sure, it's fine on all of those areas to have the, the, the big lights, the, the big TV screens, to shoot the words on the screen, to, you know, to have the sound system. All those things are fine. If you can reason in your heart that it's the best way to honor God. But if you are suggesting that honoring God is measured by the amount of, a, of adrenaline I get every time I go into that assembly, it's all about you. It's not about God. We need to be careful when dealing with silence, God's his silence on an issue. We need to be careful that we check our motives. Number three. The third thing he's going to say in this context, and this is probably as big as any of them, is he's going to say you need to be careful to be sober-minded about the way you make this particular decision. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The last principle that is pointed to here in chapter 14 with regards to God's silence is that when you're dealing with that and making a decision, you need to make sure that you always make that decision in view of the fact that one day you're going to have to answer for that decision. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And by the way, you can be devoured just as quickly inside one of those corporate church buildings as you can be outside. You can be lulled to sleep, spiritually speaking, and on your way to hell just as quickly by sitting in one of those adrenaline-driven moments of concert-like experiences as you can if you were visiting the local bar on Sunday morning. We've got to ask ourselves, <clears throat> with regards to the decisions we make on subjects of silence, we got to ask, am I really sober-minded? Am I thinking about the fact that one day I'm going to have to answer for this? One day I'm going to have to speak to God, and as he asked me, you know, that, that time you did that, was that really for, about me? Or was that really about you? And when you did it, were you sober-minded with regards to the fact that you're going to have to one day speak to me about that? So there are three things that I am convinced that the Holy Spirit puts before us here with regards to what if God is silent? Number one, if he is silent, <clears throat> make sure that he approves of your decision based upon your growth. Illustration I've used on probably too many occasions, but when when I, I think it was I think it was Gabriel, but it might have been Bryce, and I don't remember. They both doodled as children, and Gabriel's really the one who took off with it, but Whatever it was, their artwork wasn't really all that complimentary, especially when they drew pictures of mom and dad. But I remember, I think it was a Father's Day, <clears throat> Gabriel, or Bryson, whichever one, presented me with a, fa a father day, Father's Day card uh, picture, and he had drawn, drawn a picture of me and said something about how much he loved me and everything. But you know, I'll be honest with you, when I looked at that picture, 
I look I look like Mr. Potato Head. Just one big head, little pointy legs, you know, and I don't think he even had two arms. I don't recall. But anyhow, it, it was pretty sad. It was pretty sad. You know what I did with that? Right in front of him. I tore it up, threw it in the trash, said, son, really? No, I didn't. I took that Mr. Potato Head, I put it smack dab in the middle of the refrigerator door so that every person who passed by my refrigerator saw the love in the heart of my son for me. Now at age, and I think he was four, at age four, drawing dad as Mr. Potato Head is very complimentary to dad. But Gabriel's 21 now, and he's, probably, he's quite the artist. And if he were to present me with a Mr. Potato Head, for Father's Day this year, I would think he didn't put a lot of work in that. He didn't put a lot of effort in that. He didn't grow up. At age four, with regards to matters of silence, God says, I'm going to put up with some stuff. In fact, I'm going to be complimented by that effort. But if you're not growing, and by the time you're 21, you haven't come to a more mature appreciation we're going to have a problem. So the first thing you need to ask yourself is, God, God, am I doing this according to my own spiritual growth? Have I grown at all? Or am I just a stu uh, stuck in the mud, lazily assuming that I've arrived at a faith, a point of faith that doesn't need any growing, and I'm just staying right here? That's spiritual laziness. Second thing, you need to make sure that you check your motives. Why are you doing it? Is it for you or is it for God? And then the third thing is, you need to ask yourself, how comfortable are you going to be one day when you stand before God and you have to explain to him why you made that decision? <clears throat> it hadn't been that long ago that I saw that picture again that Gabriel or Bryson, whichever one, drew for me. And uh, I was talking to him about that, whichever boy it was. And uh, we were discussing the growth, the maturation process, etc. But I, I need you to know something. I still love that picture. Today, Gabriel can draw a picture that makes me look just about like I'm sitting right in front of you. And I would love that too. But that picture is a reflection of a four-year-old's love at that particular point in his maturation process. And when he was four, he was, if I can use the word sobriety, he was very sober-minded when he presented that to dad, there was no fear. There was no, he, there was no risk. He didn't think that, he, that dad's going to wad it up and throw it in the trash can. Then going to make him stand in the corner because it made me look like Mr. Potato Head. He had no, no fear of that whatsoever. You know why? Because his heart was right. Grow. If you're going to deal with issues of silence, make sure you're growing. Make sure your motives are correct. And make sure that whatever you decide is done against the backdrop of one day I'm going to have to talk to the Father about this and explain why I went about it that way. These principles, you'll notice, keep God in control. Even though he allows us freedom because he hasn't given us any specifics with regards to these issues, he allows us freedom, but his freedom still has definition so that you and I can make sure that even within the freedom, and we could walk off completely and do something in rebellion, but if we're going to be free, this is what freedom would really look like as far as appreciating me is concerned. I've used this before, and then I'll shut up and go away. 
<clears throat> my mother, who I love with all my heart, my mother's always loved pizza. She never was a real big fan of cake. I remember younger in our younger years, Sandy and I used to get together, and because we liked cake, Sandy and I would kind of save our money and everything, or or maybe Sandy would even make one. I mean, probably not at that young age, but anyhow, we, we got mom cake. And you know, mom laughed, and she giggled, and she ate, and she acted like it was the best thing. But as we got older, Sandy and I got into our teenage years and began to realize what mom really appreciated and had a little bit of money on our own that we could invest, we started getting mom pizza, pepperoni pizza, deep dish, because that's what mom likes. And as you grow, you discover more about mom, and you want to make sure that you please mom. Same thing is true with regards to some of these things. I don't ever remember my mom ever making a stink over getting cake for her birthday. I don't ever remember that because she understood the heart of her children. Grow. As you grow, check your motives. And then remember, one day, you're going to have to talk to the father about this. Are you going to be comfortable with being able to share with him your motives at the time that you made this decision with regards to something he was silent on? All right, guys, there are the five questions we tried to address during this lesson. I think we did a, a decent job. I hope so. Appreciate you so much for being a part of our time together. As I said, we're drawing towards the conclusion of this series. It's been really good stuff. I think I've got a really good topic for our next semester, so stay with me uh, with regards to that. But right now, as we deal with Reformation versus Restoration, remember, be a restorer, not a reformer. Love you. This is Sonny Chow saying, be there. Matthew 16, 26.